The FBI is pouring resources into the manhunt in Maine for the suspected shooter who killed 18 people and injured 13 in Lewiston, Maine. Experts who have been sent in to help include an evidence response team, SWAT negotiators, a behavioral analysis unit, crisis managers, and a cellular analysis support team, which is a team that tracks cell phones. With me now is CNN's chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst, John Miller. John, the, the list of FBI resources I just ticked through, does anything stand out to you from this list? And what might that tell you about the, the state of the search for the suspected shooter? Well, the FBI has brought the full package as far as things that they can do to support local law enforcement. A couple of things jump out. One is uh, the people from uh, BAU, the Behavioral Analysis Unit. Uh, those are the FBI profilers. Uh, they understand mass murderers, uh, active shooters, uh, serial killers. And what they're going to do is uh, try to give insights into what they can glean from his state of mind, things he's said, things he's written. Um, they did three search warrants today, uh, one on the house, another property on, on his land, uh, and the car. What they're looking for are the notes, the computers, uh, things, that, uh, things that may tell them where this was coming from, where he's going. Also, the crisis negotiator. The crisis negotiators um, are their hostage negotiators. They bring those people in along the idea that if it becomes a barricade situation, you have people who have been studying him, people who are trained to talk to somebody who's under pressure, try to slow things down and bring it to a safe conclusion. So that's some of what you see in that package. John, law enforcement sources told you that a, that a working theory about the, the shooter's motive might have to do with his recent breakup with his girlfriend? So he had a breakup with his girlfriend. Um, before that, uh, he lost a job. Before that, he had a mental health crisis over the summer. That was what, uh, what had been reported earlier about hearing voices and having feelings that he was going to hurt other soldiers. So when you take those three things together, um, the mental health crisis, losing a job, uh, losing a girlfriend uh, or a relationship, these are what they would refer to as stressors. Um, and when you take two or three on top of each other in rapid succession, where you have somebody who is experiencing um, a mental health crisis, that can be the kind of thing that can lead to this. Uh, the target selection seems to be places he used to go with the girlfriend who um, he broke up with, um, people that she would be with if she were there that night. And uh, Shemengi's, the bar that he uh, opened fire in, was having a, a cornhole tournament where she was, uh, they believe, he thought she was supposed to um, be in that tournament. So it, it is possible that he was returning to the places they used to go together um, and that he may have been looking for her as well. I know there are probably a lot of people in the U.S. around the world thinking he heard, heard voices. How is he... How is he able to have guns? And we're going to explore that later in the show. Um, John, it's been more than 20 hours since the first shots were reported at the bowling alley and the manhunt for Ricard presumably began shortly thereafter. How far away could he be by now? It's been a long time, really. Well, he could be pretty far away or he could be right next door. And that's because, you know, with the with the 20 hours that have passed there or so, um, he could have traveled a long distance if he was moving the whole time. On the other hand, uh, 
you know, he was, he dumped the car by a boat launch and by the entrance to the woods. Did he go into the woods? Did he have a boat waiting or steal one? Did he have a switch car? Um, right now, they don't know that information. So they are looking near, but they are also looking far. And they're trying to kind of press on what his world might be in, term of, in terms of family or friends uh, or others that he might reach out to uh, that might help give them an answer. But he also may feel so isolated at this point that he's not communicating with anyone. And Jake, we circle back to this question, which is, there he was on camera in places where he knew he was going to be recognized, where he knew his photograph was going to be captured on security video, um, didn't wear a mask, didn't put his hood up, uh, didn't have a hat on or glasses. Uh, yet he made a concerted effort, a successful effort to escape. So the question on the minds of investigators and those hunting for him now are, is it just because he thought he could get away and stay away? Or is it because there is another leg to this plot, another target perhaps, some other chapter to this hmm. that they're not aware of? And of course, that puts them under a good deal of pressure. How does the manhunt change as time goes by, especially if this turns into days or weeks? Well, we've seen this before. You know, the hunt for Eric Robert Rudolph, the Olympic Park bomber, when he ran into the forest um, in North Carolina, literally went on for years, and they didn't find him till he came out to garbage pick some food um, multiple years later, and a patrol officer happened to spot him and didn't even know who he was when he stopped him immediately. Uh, but generally, this is a person who, yes, has some training, um, some wherewithal, uh, an outdoorsman, uh, a marksman who is armed. Um, but I'm not sure that he has the resources to uh, defeat a manhunt that's literally using every tool, every mindset, and every technology uh, known to modern manhunting for too long. The shooting happened at two different locations, um, the bowling alley and at the bar and grill. It's about a 10 to 15 minute drive between the two spots. Is that common in a mass shooting, more than one location and, and uh, 10 to 15 minutes apart? Well, we've seen multiple location mass shootings, uh, but these were separated by three or four miles. Um, he's driving at night, he had his vehicle, so it, it wouldn't take him long to, uh, to go between them. And each one of them had meaning to him and, and, and the same meaning. And I think when he went to the first one, you could, you could surmise that um, when, he, when he opened fire there um, and either didn't find his ex-girlfriend, if that's what he was looking for, um, or decided that you know, his mission was accomplished, he went to the next one, the other place that they used to go together, and did the same thing. I always, I have to say, I, I always find it, I don't know, questionable. I'm always kind of curious about the decisions by these towns when there's a manhunt and they go into complete lockdown and schools and business, businesses close. I, I understand the fear, um, but it's not sustainable for a long time. And I, I, there's part of me that wonders if it actually makes anxiety worse. Um, how do police reconcile 
public safety with the need for, for people to live their lives? Well, it's, it's a double-edged sword, and it's, um, it's hard to explain to someone who is standing on the other side of the world where missiles are falling and shots are being fired and lives are being taken each day. But uh, if you think of the Boston Marathon bombing, right? Think back to that, Jake, and they put Boston on lockdown because the suspects were at large. They had shot a police officer. They were on the loose. Um, and, you know, Boston is, is what we call the city of jaywalkers. You know, they don't follow any rules, and yet they complied. Uh, the streets were barren. People stayed home. And what happened next? There was a wild gun battle. The suspects were throwing bombs at the police, um, and then one of them escaped. One of them was, you know, apprehended at the scene, and they found him really the next day when a neighbor noticed a blood stain on a piece of canvas that he had over his boat and they surrounded the boat, and of course, Jokar Sanayev, who's been convicted in that case, had been hiding inside. My point is, you never really know which way these things are gonna go. They're dynamic, they're unpredictable, and that's because they're driven by the perpetrators, not by the investigators.